Hello, it is your partner, Big Boy, interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network that empowers you to take action, contribute to local needs, and be a part of something bigger than yourself. Visit caneighbors.com to learn more about how you can get to know your neighbor and strengthen your community. Neighbor to Neighbor, it takes a neighborhood. Hello. What's the matter? Go ahead. It's stupid. Without a new carburetor, it's not going to work. Having hope is never stupid. You got to believe good things will happen and then they will. Understand what I'm saying? In this world, son, you gotta make your own luck. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Trisha Tanaka is dead! <laughs> is this her funeral? Yeah, this Finally, is Finally, uh-huh. uh, 13 years after the fact? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Trisha Tanaka is dead. Season 3, Episode 10 here on Down the Hatch. I'm Josh Wiggler, joined by Mike Bloom. Mike, how you doing? I am doing so so splendid because mm-hmm. we have quite possibly the most feel good episode in lost history to talk about. It's a fine drink, and unlike a van, I'm gonna have it on the rocks. <laughs> have the drink on the rocks. Yeah, I am. I am thrilled. Um, I, I I've been thinking about this, uh, and I don't know if this is a hot take or what. I know it's everyone knows I really love Trisha Tanaka. If you know anything about me and my opinions on Lost. Um, and watching it again today, it did solidify for me. I know that the great Brendan Fitzpatrick, uh, who runs our social on, on Posture Recaps was talking about how this is the episode he has probably seen the most. I don't know if that's the case for me. It's gotta be mm-hmm. up there. But Mike, I do think that this is my favorite episode of Lost. Ooh, yeah. See, it's interesting because I, I always feel like in terms of pop culture, there is a, a big difference between like what is the best episode of Lost and what is your favorite episode of Lost. And so I, I do take that point that I think there is a difference between like quality wise, what is the pound for pound best thing? But what is the thing that you find yourself constantly going back to? We actually sort of had a bit of that discussion when you were moving your way up the ladder with Stranger in a Strange mm-hmm. Land last week. And I'm not one to invalidate your opinion. I, I do think that this would make sense. And I don't think you're wrong in a lot of people saying uh, that, you know, Trisha Tanaka is dead is one of their just favorite episodes to just relitigate. But let me ask you, because we talked about this last week, there's a bit of a historical context here in that certainly at the time, the episode was not viewed as favorably, just A, in the midst of where it was in the season, and B, the lens of looking through it through the mystery box angle versus the character-based angle. 
Were you always of this opinion when you saw Trisha Tadaka is dead? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, I, I'd i like to think yes, but I really don't know. And, and I do think that that idea of this coming after Stranger in a Strange Land must have been, you know, must have been tough uh, to get that episode and then get, get this episode, which on the face of it doesn't feel like a big mythology builder, even though we are effectively going on a road trip with Benjamin Linus's dead father. You know, <laughs> yeah, like- exactly. And there's a lot of stuff in <laughs> retrospect between that or even like, like we talked about with Everybody Hates Hugo. This is a great Hurley as a leader yes. episode. Hurley yes. as, an, as, as, an, as an inspirer episode, where yes. at the time, I think what really a lot of people groused with was that we had this huge one-two punch coming back from the break as, okay, you know, Kate and Sawyer leave Hydra Island, and then Desmond is able to time travel scene to the future, and Charlie's going to die. Right. And how do we follow up with it? With the story of Jack's tattoo, and Hurley finds a van. And like you said, on paper, it does not look that remarkable, but this episode is such a, I'll use the term palate cleanser. There's a fantastically meta moment during Hurley's speech when he's trying to ransack some gawkers to help him when he talks about, you know, things have been very dark and depressing lately. We need something to cheer us up. And I think it's no coincidence that this is one of the most season one-like episodes post-season one in Lost History, because it does evoke that time when things were a bit lighter, arguably because we knew less about what was going on around the survivors. Yeah, you know what? This episode, it's a delicious burger with a side of delicious lasagna. What is there oh, not boy. to like, oh, you know? Oh. No <laughs> offense to Tron and Lady Tron, but like, I don't know if they chose that meal. Maybe yeah. they should stick to Bennigan's. Yeah, the lasagna seemed like it was just like reheated from Bennigan's. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like if you order catering, don't get like cafeteria lasagna, you know? You know, it's not a nothing deal that I'm saying this is my favorite episode of Lost. So I want to just like expand on that a little bit more is that this episode of Lost to me makes me happier than any episode of Lost. This episode makes me feel the feels more than any episode of Lost and not like in the like uh, the I love you Penny and like uh, I'll wait for you always. I love you. The constant pieces of it like that is very beautiful and sweet and smartly put together. And I think that that is a better put together episode than this. But no, no episode in every time that I've returned to it since doing rewatches of Lost. This episode has always met me where I am in that Mm. way that really, really, really hits. Um, This whole make your own luck idea has just always been a powerful one to me. I think getting it through the lens of Hugo Hurley Reyes is just is just spectacular. Um, I am having uh, a, a moment right now where I am having uh, a, a, a physical problem, uh, which I you know will we'll not go too deep into. I'm fine ultimately, but like Your I'm penis having penis is fine just to make sure. <laughs> I'm having and a little. Everyone <laughs> was thinking it. I'm sure. I'm having I'm having like an issue, and it's really painful, and it sucks. And like this has been this getting this episode this week was just like such a mood lifter that got me out of some of this physical pain that I'm in right now that I really, really needed it. And I couldn't stop laughing at some of the stuff that was happening in this episode. The meteorite is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's a hangout episode. It's a hangout yep. with like some of my favorite people who've ever been on television. Um, so I, I, I look at Trisha Tanaka as just like emblematic of the things that I love the most about lost, which is the characters, the setting, the music, the ideas. 
less the plot. The plot I do love for sure, but I think it takes a back seat to those other things. Uh, those other things are the, are the Sawyer, Charlie, Jin, and Hurley of the road trip. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing is like Vincent hopping into the car and I love Vincent, you know? <gasps> uh, so, you know, I just, I love this episode. It makes me so happy. It's a perfect episode of Lost for me. And I totally get and appreciate that that is not the case for everybody else. Mike, I've come to terms with where you're at on this episode. That's not a problem for me. Um, this was <laughs> for people who don't remember the the earliest days of Lost podcasting on Post Show Recaps, a series called Lost Lives. Lost Lives Volume One, I would say, not Volume Two. And when yeah. your relationship breathed during that, yeah, Mike and I uh, like came to almost blows on a podcast over the fact that you were dissing Trisha Tanaka in my eyes, even though you weren't really. Yeah, I really just said it was okay, but mm-hmm. that was taken as blasphemous. It was in your blasphemous eyes. to me. It was blasphemous to me. But no, I, I see where you're coming from with it, especially with like your grading rubric. Um, for me, uh, I think a lot of this stuff tends to just be like more gut feeling uh, rather yeah. than like thinking about it too. No, you're, too you're, you're heart and I'm brain in this I, case. And I, I guess think we're, so. we're neither one of us are courage. I, I I think I definitely not. Uh, I think so as it pertains to certainly Trisha Tanaka is dead. So this is just like this is the episode that I will uh, I will revisit more than any other. Like if I just want to put on an episode of Lost that's going to lift my mood, I think it's going to be Trisha Tanaka almost every single time. Um, in the spirit of you make your own luck, Mike, this is a great time to let people know. Uh, we mentioned this last time. Post Show Recaps, it's on Patreon now. Uh, Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps is the way to sign up for the Post Show Recaps patron community, which is lit, Mike. Mm-hmm. It's lit, and I'm so happy about this. Uh, I was so nervous that no one was going <laughs> to show up at all. Yeah, you, you basically you, you invited everyone to your birthday party, and you're like, God, I hope I I hope at least like I hope like three people make it. No, I hired Spider Man to come, and I hope people actually are there for him, so he doesn't have to just pretend in front of me, and I have to like pretend I'm enthused Mm -hmm. by him because there's nobody else to help with the the facade of it all. But no, people have showed up in teams. At this moment, we are 250 plus strong one week in, and that is remarkable. Yeah, we're recording this on Wednesday, October 7th, so we're a little over 250 patrons right now, which means we've unlocked our first goal here on Post Show Recaps, which is a new show that's going to be in the main feed. So even if you're not a patron, you're getting this show. That's what the patrons of Post Show Recaps have done for you. Uh, it's called Origin Story, and it's going to be a twice-monthly interview series where I'm going to be interviewing a different person each week about their pop culture origin stories, the movies, TVs, characters, and such that defined them uh, and and brought them into uh, a love, you know, a, the, their loving relationship with television, uh, the reason why you hear from them, the reason why you know some of these people, whether they're podcasters or people from other spaces. Um, and to, to tip it, the first guest will be uh, the man himself, Rob Sesternino, will mm. be uh, sitting in the hot seat for the first episode of Origin Story. Those podcasts will come out every other Wednesday. Um, so I'm really, really grateful for the patrons of Poster Recaps who've unlocked that goal. We now are, uh, you know, we got to double the number of 250 to get to our next goal, which is the return of most shows recapped, which was... Uh, a podcast wow, so you talk did. about a throwback not as far it was basically between no it was i think it was post lost lives version 2.0 mm-hmm. but pre obviously the current version of lost lives i want to say that was like a 2016 2017 podcast most shows recap was a podcast where myself antonio mazzaro and rob sesternino got together every single week to talk about a different show that was
was on TV. And it was like in that format, basically untenable. Uh, we, we were yeah. not able to keep it alive. We have better ideas for how to bring it back this time around. Um, I think it'll be a different lineup. It won't be me, Rob, and Antonio. We'll get into the specifics of exactly the shape that it's going to take. Should yeah, no, no, we no, no, unlock no. Leave it, it? Leave the details a mystery. Be like, you're going to learn more when you unlock the, the, the benefits. You know, if, if we're talking about a show that tantalized people by promising big questions to be answered, why don't we do the same? It's going to be a fun show. I, I think we'll, I'm, I'm really optimistic that we'll be able to get there. Uh, I think the plan is we wouldn't launch it sooner than January 2021 at this point. Um, but we are, I'm planning as though we're going to get there. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I'm grateful for everybody who's been able to sign up, uh, at whatever level you can afford. Five dollars a month gets you our patron only feed, which includes three weekly patron podcasts, post show recaps theater, which is a weekly movie club with myself and Emily Fox and rotating guests. This week, it's Hocus Pocus. And Hocus Pocus was a ride, a really fun show. Uh, we also oh have... Speaking of Hocus Pocus, uh, I'm not the guest, so I'll put in this random fact that uh, one of the first things that Asher Bloom ever smiled to was Sarah Jessica Parker dancing around talking about dead men's toes when we watched <laughs> Hocus Pocus last fall. <laughs> Spectacular. That's very, very good. We also have Watching with Wiggler. It's a weekly Josh Wiggler monologue podcast. It's just me talking to you. It's you and me, but mostly me. Uh, and I am uh, telling you what I'm watching on any given week. It's just designed to be, uh, you know, a way to touch on some of the podcasts, uh, some of the shows that we're not able to podcast about every single week. Uh, it is just, you know, you can do your chores, you can do your laundry, you can go for a walk, and I'm in your ears, and it should be pretty simple. Uh, and it's a uh, the the reviews were in, and they were very kind of just like it's nice to just like kind of get around and just like hear you talking so that's the that's the goal on that one and then the big one that we've launched recently is community building community Mm -hmm. building is a very meta podcast it is a podcast about a theoretical community podcast jess sterling who is one of the moderators on the post show recaps patron discord was uh applying a lot of public pressure on me to get into community i've never watched community at least in any sort of major sustained way i think i've seen like three episodes across the run um a lot of people got on the bandwagon of like wiggler how could you have not seen community you <laughs> yeah, see, a, lot of, a lot of public shaming from the internet uh-huh. in, a, in a loving way of course of like less so how dare you and more so like oh you gotta check it out you gotta check it out and so here was what i said i'd be willing to do i'd be willing to do a podcast for the patrons every single week called Community Building, where we're going to give updates on the community that we are building here on Post Show Recaps. And also, we will make the attempt to do a community podcast, but there are conditions. And it has a very large goal that must be met in order for a full-scale community podcast to come to life. We have to hit 1,000 patrons by December 31st, 2020 at 11:59 p.m. right before the ball drops. If we can do that, if we can hit a thousand patrons, then we'll do a full community podcast, and that will be on the main feed. That won't be just for patrons. I should also say that community uh, building, as well as watching with Wiggler, both of those podcasts are free to listen to at Patreon.com/slash Show Recaps. You can listen on the website. Um, you don't have to be a patron. You can check that stuff out. At least for now, we're keeping it free, just so you can see what we're doing. Did um, you get a little taste? before you dig into the entire glacier bar. 
Yeah, so we've got a lot going on. We hope you can join us. Those of you who have already joined us, you're incredible. Yeah, and we should um, also mention at $10, I think another big perk that comes along is access to the, you mentioned it before, the Post Show Recaps Discord, which, you know, Josh, when you were speaking about being able to talk briefly about shows that do not warrant or do not have coverage on PSR proper, this is another great outlet. So Discord is a, a platform where you can, it's essentially a, a different type of forum where you can have conversations. We have different channels about every. Everything from shows we're podcasting about to general television, movies. We even have a category for snacks if you want to talk about mm-hmm. it. And you know that you do. <laughs> but this is a, it's a great way to just sort of, you know, drum up conversations with the patrons that are on there. And a bunch of us hosts are on there as well about stuff. For instance, we're, we're just talking right now, actually, as we're speaking about The Boys, which is currently on its second season on Amazon Prime. Is there going to be a podcast covering it? Maybe, maybe not. But if you want to talk about it without needing to necessarily, you know, hear people talk about it in a microphone professionally here's the discord there's so much great stuff to talk about and such a great amount of people and there's a haiku bot that can make literal poetry (laughs) out of the stuff you say no it's it's super super fun and i will say specifically for uh for those of you who are listening to this the hatchlings the down the hatchlings um that we have a really robust down the hatch channel where we're talking about the podcast we're talking about lost um obviously all of the feedback channels are still very much exist down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com remains the best way to get your feedback in for the podcast but for like sort of like an ancillary bonus community surrounding the podcast the discord is awesome we've had some really really great conversations right. like, about like if you write a message and you tag us like who has the best butt we can get back to you in a reasonable amount of time as opposed to like having right. to wait for us to read an email on a podcast right 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 so strongly recommended yeah that's at the $10 tier if you can afford it also at the $15 tier you can get some merch out of the deal so lots of fun stuff on the poster recaps patron thank you for indulging us talking about about it for this length of time. We're really excited about it. The big thing is by funding us on the Patreon, you're keeping these lights on. You're mm-hmm. keeping us alive. You're keeping us able to do these podcasts. You're making We're... sure we don't need a new carburetor that we can turn the key and everything <laughs> you know, will ignite. You know, these podcasts are not easy to do. They require a lot of work. So you're supporting us, the hosts, directly uh, by supporting us through Patreon. So anyone who is able to do that, if you've gotten anything out of us over the last uh, you know year plus that we've been doing down the hatch in the last almost seven years that we've been doing post show recaps, I'd uh, I'd ask you to consider it. Um, but if you don't, if you can't do it, don't worry. Down the hatch is going to be super free all the time. You're still getting all the content and super um, freaky and super freaky. So let's talk about Trisha Tanaka is dead. Let's go forth into the jungle. It's a Kitsis and Horowitz joint. Uh, yeah, it, uh, here's here's my first question: Is this the best episode that the two pen on lost? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember because I know we reviewed their filmography on Lost beforehand, but I would say at the top, I mean, listen, considering their other credits include whatever the case may be, fire plus water, I think it's a it's an easy bar to clear. Yeah, I I think for me it's it's pretty it's pretty clearly their their best episode. Um, you know, greatest hits is is in contention. Like there's there's some things in contention. Did they write expose? Oh, that's a good question. All right, now we have to completely repeat our segment where we dive in to Lost, uh, the Lost filmography of Kitsis and Horowitz. They did write Expose, and they did write Greatest Hits. Yeah, yeah those are, you know, I think I'm see- in season three, maybe they're on fire. <laughs> you know, like in in water. season three, <laughs> yeah, they're on fire plus water. So season three, they're, they're doing, doing really well. This is the fourth ever Hugo 
Hurley Reyes flashback episode. Um, and it is, it is just a lovely, lovely time on Lost. It just makes me so happy. This whole episode, even though it starts on like this sad note, which you, you played a little bit of in our, in our intro, uh, of Hurley with his dad, curiously named David, uh, and, uh, David being played by Cheech. Yeah, Cheech Marin comes in as David Reyes here in both past and present. I guess he has a nice, like, past crop of hair on when we see, I guess this is like 1980-something Hurley. Yeah, this is an interesting place to start because we also, this is a rare no previously on Lost episode, Josh. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is sort of a a nice reminder of how this episode is so separate from everything else going on that this really does seem like a break from the main action going on both this and Hydra Island. But we really jump right into it. Three Dog Night comes on and we are all of a sudden back into the 80s. But yeah, I remember even at the time being like, they got freaking Cheech on Lost. And you can imagine like, Okay, this is going to be a big, wacky episode with Cheech Marin, but Cheech Marin uh, really does not delve into comedy much in Lost. This episode is a funny episode, arguably one of the funniest in Lost history, but Cheech is not one of the funnier parts of it, ironically enough. No, not not really. And I know that there are things that like we got to knock Cheech for, like for the fact that like he is about to tell Hurley that having hope isn't stupid, and you gotta you gotta make your own luck in this world. And then he immediately follows that by like, oh, and here's a candy bar. You're not going to see me for 17 years. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's that's fairly shitty, uh, and I think that that is worthy of a demerit. But I think in the long haul, Mike, I would say that David Reyes is in the conversation for best parents on Lost. Um, on, like, mm. the re- on the return trip, when Hurley yeah. and, and David are able to have uh, more of a relationship. I think that that is... I think both of Hurley's parents. Like, I think he's able to have, like, really pure relationships with them. And I like to think about... Lost two and Hurley being in charge and having Carmen and David on the island, I think is just an incredible thing to consider. I feel like it would be sort of like a Seinfeld follow up where this is sort of like George's parents. Uh, I could see Carmen and David sort of becoming that. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting in that the character's redemption is sort of off screen. I don't know. My headcanon has been the entire time that. You know, David will admit in this episode that he came back for the money, but like he had his own moment where he realized how important family was during the the time that Hurley was gone on the island. And we didn't necessarily see that. Maybe in Lost, like season 16, we would get that David Reyes flashback episode of what happened after Hurley was on the island. But I totally agree that watching him in this episode compared to, you know, we see him in There's No Place Like Home, but he really plays a larger role in season five when Hurley's off the island. I wouldn't say it's completely like night and day or three dog night and three dog day, but it definitely is a character shift. And we have to do a bit of mental math there. But I do think on an ending note, David Reyes is certainly up there. Listen, definitely not in the pantheon of King Daddy Kwan. But no, also, no, but who is? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like Kitsis and Horowitz episodes in that there is a low bar to step over, especially when it comes to the daddy category. We're going to see King Daddy Kwan later this season, aren't we? Yeah, DOC, oh, baby. Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, my God. Get your MVP points ready. Uh, all right, so he leaves. He goes on his motorcycle. I will say that this is some of the worst flashback uh, hair. Uh, yeah, on, it, on both ends. Like, little, little, her. I also say, 
I do not want to chastise kid actors too much. I would say Little Hurley is not the best. Oh, he's sweet. I think he's sweet. I like him. I think he's cute. I think, I think he's, he's like cedar. He's sweet, but a little wooden. The, thi- the thing that uh, that always gets me, and it's part of the charm of Trisha Tanaka is dead for me, is how they're like, yeah, Cheech is like a, a, a suave young guy, and Carmen <laughs> is his young wife. And they just like look both like exactly how yeah, they look they in present day. They don't even put like a gray <laughs> streak in their hair when we come they to really 2000. They, they really don't even try to like age them down that hard. So I, I appreciate that just from like a it makes me laugh standpoint. But David's going to leave having given Hurley a chocolate bar and we are to to be left with the idea that like uh, in his depression and in the wake of his father leaving that Hurley overindulged and that contributed to his weight issues. Right. Which, um, which also, again, if you're connecting back to the episode Dave, it then makes sense why Dave the imaginary friend shares the same name of his father and that it was largely connected around, you know, the guy that was telling him, yeah, eat whatever you want. Eat that lasagna. It's not as good as the one the trans make, but go ahead, um, make it on the, <laughs> grab right. it on that plate. Weird lasagna runner with Hurley. We heard this in the oh, clip. Obviously, yeah. this is the first mention of the infamous make your own luck phrase, but the way that David delivers it has always intrigued me because David doesn't say make your own luck. He says you've got to make your own luck. So it's an emphasis not on own, like you might think, in terms of like putting propriety on you to do it, but make. And I guess it's this idea of like direct versus indirect or passivity versus impassivity. This idea of, okay, you know, it might be your own luck, but you're the one that has to do it. And I, I think that maybe the, the things got lost in translation to the emphasis being on own instead of make. But I, I just found that such an interesting line reading. Um, so we go to the island uh, after this flashback. And Hurley is uh, speaking of, of watch with Hurley. This is his Hurley monologue. Um, let's listen in on what Hurley is saying as he is standing by the beach and giving an update on some things that have been happening recently. So then the others take the bags off our heads and we're like on the other side of the island. And they take Jack, Kate and Sawyer someplace and they send me back to want everyone to stay away. Which I did, and now everyone's freaked out with them gone and what happened to Echo. They're all scared. And I'm scared. But then I've been scared most of my time here anyway. Except when I'm with you. I miss you, Libby. These episodes, Hurley-based episodes, are always just great excuses to really emphasize how great of a performer Jorge Garcia is. Yeah, for sure. He really, really sells this, especially when the turn of, you know, they're scared and I'm scared and I've always been scared. We get the super slow-mo lock pan around shot. It doesn't completely pan around to reveal that Hurley's at Libby's grave, which is obviously the big reveal at the end. But like, I love 
the camera work on it as well. This is a great way for us to sort of check in with Hurley because we really haven't, you know, he hasn't really been in the spotlight since he came back. He nearly got killed by Locke. And then after that, he's been more so concerned with, you know, the Desmond stuff and has really been running sidecar to that, that we haven't really thought about the trauma that he's experienced and where he is emotionally. So I really appreciate this episode from that regard as well, checking in with this character who has been through a lot and we haven't necessarily talked about and I also love the fact that we're mentioning Libby here because, I mean, as we've talked about, season three, end of season two, they literally bury the character of Libby because Cynthia Watrose <laughs> was not interested in coming yeah. back. And I'm happy that at least Kitsis and Horowitz took the opportunity here to shout it out because from a character perspective, of course, Hurley would not just leave Libby behind. He Libby meant so much to him. So it makes sense totally from a character perspective that he would not only visit her grave, but to your point, almost do some some catch up podcast with her to have this one sided conversation with her, though, as he'll discover, they might not be so one sided concerning the powers he's going to get as to what's going on with him and how he's feeling. It's really lovely. And I'm glad that the show hasn't forgotten, you know, like I'm really glad that the show hasn't forgotten uh, Hurley's feelings towards Libby, the fact that he just lost this person recently and like add it to the list of the long string of very terrible things that have happened surrounding Hurley. And I know he blames himself for this. He's going to blame himself for Charlie when he goes to Charlie who's shaving on the beach and Charlie's moping. Yeah, and so speaking of season one, like, this was a thing, right? Jack had, I remember Jack shaving at the rocks uh, during the whole Sawyer needs glasses thing, and it's been a a while since they shaved. I know that Rob uh, brought this up when he was on during our Renap crossover about the facial hair of it all, though it won't be for long. Uh, Eagle-eyed viewers might have noticed that Charlie has very stubborn facial hair that grows back almost at a Homer Simpson-like level. Yeah, he's just like, I don't know, uh, if I if I could grow hair from my face that way, that would be great. I have like the opposite problem. Yeah, strong me. genes for Charlie. It yeah, seems. he's doing great. Uh, Charlie says like, yeah. So here's the thing. Desmond told me I'm gonna die. Uh, he's got these visions. I die all the time. He keeps trying to save me. He says I'm gonna die eventually. And you should probably tell me that I'm crazy and I'm moping for nothing. And Charlie's like, no, I think he's probably right. <laughs> well, and that's and that's an interesting thing. It speaks about their relationship, right? Because. Charlie, like Hurley has not necessarily approached Charlie with this same information, but he has approached him with similarly supernatural stuff, right? Or even revealing to him in numbers about his past. And Charlie has been a skeptic to it most of the time. He's laughed in his face. He says, like, don't trick me. Charlie has really tried to be like a man of reason in that regard. And Hurley is not going to be the same way to Charlie. So Charlie makes that assumption because that's how he would respond if someone had approached him with that. But Hurley, since he is has like a big, wide open heart and big, wide open eyes to everything going around him, is like, yeah, sure, that totally makes sense. Listen, I was the one that approached you saying Desmond can see the future. Of course he can prognosticate your death. I totally yeah. get it, dude. Yeah, I love Hurley so much, man. Um, on on the rewatch, Hurley is really uh just doing it for me. And and one of the things is like you know he's going to be the king of the island. He's the protector by the end of this thing. And Hurley just like he believes you. He believes you. Yeah. He doesn't tell you you're crazy. He doesn't tell you that like this thing that you're upset about and worried about is a thing that's like not worth being upset or worried about. He believes you. Well, he believes you partially because he's going to foist that blame onto himself. Yeah. Right. Like if you approached Hurley and you said like, oh, man, I had a hole in my pocket and my lucky quarter rolled out. He's like, yeah, that sucks. I believe you. But it's probably because it's my fault because you shook my hand before and because I'm cursed. So I do agree that Hurley is a generally 
open person, but that openness might be due to the fact that he has closed himself off to this idea that he is just going to drag everyone into his orbit of bad luck. What does he tell Charlie? He says, I'm cursed. Death finds me, dude. And then Vincent literally runs up to him with an arm in his mouth. Which oh, is my just- God. <laughs> which Vincent, like, I would like to know. I mean, I guess, are we assuming did Roger's arm fall off or did Vincent somehow, like, sniff around, find the arm, rest it off the body yeah, and then decide so. to fetch it? Yeah, Vincent's vicious, man. Vincent's intense. Uh, I, I'm supposed to. Maybe Vincent has something against Roger Workman. Maybe yeah. in the time traveling, like Roger, I don't know, like uh, ran over his favorite tree that he wanted to pee on. And so Vince's like, I'm going to get that guy back one day. And now he's finally paying it forward. It's possible. The the arm is clutching a key. Hurley wants to follow the arm. With Charlie's the Lucky's like, rabbit foot on it. Yep. And so Charlie is like, all right, good luck with that. Uh, have fun chasing a skeletal arm into the creepy jungle, and Hurley's like, "All right, well, if I'm not back in three hours, let someone know I'm I'm not I'm not safe." Yes, yeah, is, is that he, a gen- <laughs> is that a general policy on Lost that Maybe. like if someone goes off into the jungle for a little while, you should report it, or is it more so like depending on the person? Jack's been gone for a while. I assume he's on a mission. It's like three minutes, three hours. Those are the yeah, really it's always the, threes. <laughs> these things come in threes. Uh, so Hurley runs after Vincent, and Vincent leads Hurley. Here it is to the Dharma van. Uh, and Hurley gets the line that describes how I feel once we reach this moment. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Lost is just going to do an episode about resurrecting a car. It's just fun. It's so, just it's a ridi- so I mean, fun. On paper, this has to be one of the most ridiculous concepts for an episode. Of not just like the simplicity of it all, but the idea that he finds a Dharma van. Granted, again, in retrospect, we're going to see so much civility surprisingly take place in Lost. We saw a peak of it in A Tale of Two Cities, but because we spent so much time on Hydra Island, we really haven't gotten a peek behind the curtain, for lack of a better term. And this is a, a way to show that. I don't think anyone who got into the show in season one would ever imagine an episode would end with four guys doing wheelies in a big open field in a van from the 70s. But this also shows the lengths that Lost has gone to and the lengths it will continue to go. Season three is such a transitional season in so many ways. And this is sort of, uh, it, it's, you know, building up your your disbelief or, or belief, I would say, and saying like, yeah, Lost can do these things because if they can jumpstart a Dharma van, they can absolutely travel through time multiple times. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally, absolutely. All right, and they can also uh, murder someone via meteorite. So let's go to the to the next flashback of the episode and let's get into why this episode is called what it's called. It's everyone's fantasy: winning the lottery, untold millions falling into your lap overnight. What would you do with all that money? Well, one such lucky winner recently bought a chicken shack. I'm Trisha Tanaka with Hugo Reyes, winner of a record $114 million outside Mr. Cluck's Chicken Shack in Diamond Bar, which will be having its grand reopening tomorrow. So, Hugo, I think the question on everyone's mind is, why did you buy Mr. Cluck's? Uh, I like chicken. Um, also with us is uh, Hugo's former boss and now employee, Randy Nations. That's probably every working stiff's uh, fantasy, isn't it, Mr. Reyes? Um, okay, so Hugo, tell us what else you've done since you got on your lucky streak. Actually, a 
kind of had some bad luck too. My uh, grandpa Tito died of a heart attack, and the first house about my mom burnt down. My friend Johnny ran off with my girlfriend Starla. Oh, and the sky jumped off my accountant's roof. Cut. The- what the hell is that? It's a puff piece, Mr. Reyes. Do you know what that is? Yeah. Sorry, Trisha Tanaka. Um, uh, do you mind if we go inside and uh, shoot some B-roll? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course he can. I mean, he's just superstitious. You know, the ribbon isn't cut yet. Okay, let's go. Oh, God, I Hey, you sure it's okay? Yeah, relax. The safety guards are on the flyers. Those flyers are stone cold. All right, we don't even start cooking until tomorrow. You hear something? And then pan through the... A meteorite <laughs> hits the chicken shack. Uh, um, the meteorite hitting the chicken shack is incredible because, like that had that had already been set up previously in the series right. when it was like uh, by a meteor, actually meteorite, uh, and to watch it happen is like this is to me this is like the opposite of Jack's tattoos like the <gasps> the payoff to this throwaway thing as like the basis of a flashback is just so spectacularly done uh and i know that there's some people who like take issue with the name of this episode that Trisha Tanaka is dead uh when there are like so many other different things that it could could have been called like you make your own luck or whatever um but it's just like i think the surreality of an asteroid Coming out of space and landing coming out, <laughs> coming out of space and landing directly on Trisha Tanaka is worthy of like catapulting Hurley through the rest of the journey that he's happening here. That like uh like th- the Trisha Tanaka is dead represents like the exact thing that Hurley is fighting against, right? That is like the unluckiest thing <laughs> is that Shisha Tanaka got obliterated by a meteorite while standing in a chicken shack. Uh, and here in this episode, Hurley is trying to, to defy the, 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 the falling sky, uh, and make his own luck. So I just, I love it so much. Apparently at the time, this was the most expensive visual effect on losses. Which makes the- sense. I mean, this was, I mean, which is crazy concerned that they literally crashed a plane in the first episode, but so many of that were practical effects. This was, they couldn't build a meteorite. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. the great team on loss couldn't do that. So they had to make this entirely CGI. I, I will agree with those who have said that I do not think, while I totally agree that I think the surreality of the episode in general lends itself to the title, I just feel like from a thematic perspective, it is such a small blip in everything else, even with Hurley's a series of events, right? Because like the flashback isn't about Trisha Shinaka, really. That's just sort of the, the reminder as to how much bad luck mm-hmm. Hurley has at this moment. Let me suggest a name, and I, I don't know if it's better or worse, because I'm terrible at these things. What about something like Ignition? Like, using some sort of car 
metaphor to talk about, hey, the ignition obviously needs to turn in the van to have a jump start. You could talk about like the ignition lighting a fire under Kate to go back for Jack. I feel like that's sort of like an applicable phrase that some of the best lost episodes have that really is able to talk about everything going on in this episode. Nah, Trisha Tanaka is dead. Okay, well, I knew you were not going to be one to be convinced at all. <laughs> Trisha Tanaka is dead is an episode title you just never forget. <laughs> right, well, this is your argument from last week, though, too, of like, whether it's good or bad, it's memorable, and that should be something. Yeah, I think that that's part of equality for me, for sure. Uh, but I love I will, the name. I, will also really, like, I feel like I love the mouthfeel of Trisha Tanaka <laughs> is dead. I think well, it has great mouthfeel. Well, hopefully there's not too many pieces of Trisha Tanaka raining down into people's mouths because yeah. she's definitely dead. I mean, not to say that she deserved it, but Trisha Tanaka was not exactly a very nice character she in the, was, in the two minutes knows, we got of her. Who knows what kind of day she was having? She may have had a bad day. Well, I know that I, I can't remember know. if in numbers when Hurley did the press conference that started with Grandpa Tito dying and the whole series of events. Like, I can't remember if they've kept the runner of him being really like frozen in front of cameras or if this is just because. Hurley fills us in that this is clearly taking place after the events of Numbers, after the events of Everybody Hates Hugo, obviously after Dave, so kind of setting things before he goes off to Australia. Right. Uh, but I can't, can't remember if that was a running bit or not, that Hurley does not like the camera. Uh, I don't remember that either. I mean, he seems like he's pretty fine uh, in the press conference with Grandpa Tito. You Maybe know, he's, he's then so, like, just nervous about what might happen, because the last time he was well, on yeah. camera, his grandpa died. Like, maybe he thought Randy Nation's <laughs> Mackie Lover, which should, we should also mention Randy Nation's appearance. And I will also say, not to spoil the MVP, LVPs too much, but a very rare, maybe the first time Randy Nation's has appeared on an episode and will not be an, an LVP here. I think he is innocuous enough. You know, I think that he's all right this week. I think, uh, you know, he's just sort of like doing these Hurley's yes, man. I guess I have questions. Is he working double duty? Is he working as a Mr. Cluck's manager and he was working at the box company? Or is the, the, the extent of time that walkabout covered, uh, when he was dealing with, with, uh, with Randy, mm -hmm. uh, such that he went on the walkabout and Randy also left the box company and went to work for Mr. Clucks. But I guess I have some questions about the timeline. Yeah, because I would say that maybe the meteorite took place, you know, a long time before David coming back. But Hurley is literally covered in the ashes of Mr. Clucks when Carmen reveals that David is back. So I guess maybe when we're introduced to Randy being an a-hole in walkabout, then maybe this is a long time before him. But I thought that the series was that Hurley bought the box company and hired Randy to be there. So was it that he was then able to finally like say, all right, I'm going to get Mr. Clucks back up and Randy, I am plucking you out of the box company and you're going back to yeah, Mr. Maybe. Clucks. And from maybe. that capacity, I wonder how Randy felt about it. it seemed like he was, <laughs> he was fine in this episode. So maybe he it was a blessing. Mr. Clucks. They, you know, you get the lunch deal. He loved it there. Um, here's another tidbit about the meteorite scene. So the great Joe Garfine, your friend and mine, uh, moderated a Lost Con 2020 panel, virtual panel, with Jorge Garcia being on that panel. And Jorge said that the meteorite scene was uh, initially going to be even longer, and it was going to end with Hurley and Randy 
covered not in Trisha's Tanaka, but pieces of raw chicken falling uh, out. At least what we sky. think is raw chicken. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we don't know. Uh, but that, that whole thing is great. Oh, that'd anyway. be, I mean, that would be a truly ridiculous image to cap it off. But yeah, I mean, we also haven't had this much of a huge effect in Lost, arguably since Arst blowing up. Mm. And this is that on a much larger scale. So. I, I, God, it's so it's by it's far so the most funny. ridiculous thing to it's happen so in the funny. show yet, maybe ever, <laughs> and it's so funny. It's so funny. Um, all right, at the beach, uh, everyone's gathered by the pantry. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of Dharma oat bars. Says Paolo. Uh, Paolo, uh, nice Paolo, reminder that Mickey Paolo, Paolo is still here. I don't know, Paolo. Well, depend on the end of this. Paolo might earn some LVP points in my book because he's like he's he's being weird. He's in this barely episode. in it. He's barely yeah, in it. Yeah, but then we- there's this one move that he does where he pulls Nikki away by hooking his finger around a loop in her jeans and pulling her back, and that's just very ooky to me. Ooh, yeah, that's kind of strange. It's well, really, the, they're a little grody. The whole cu- the whole the, that whole couple they're a little they're a little icky. Yeah, though I will say I think at this point, like aside from Nikki being the one to have sex in Jack's tent, like I think Paolo has been the one that has you know done or at least we've seen him be more annoying than nikki is so i think expose is going to turn that opinion around a bit when it turns out that nikki is sort of the brains behind the two yeah uh son is trying to get Jin to speak english he's only going to be speaking to him in english from from now on this is how he'll learn and welcome back daniel day kim he has not been on since further instructions that's wild really that yeah, long because at least son showed up in flashes before your eyes right when she had aaron when claire was drowning but Jin has taken a nice nap in the trees for six episodes, which was, you know, many, many months when this first aired. Makes sense. He's charged up. This is a classic Jin episode. Very much uh, so. This is a really great Jin I mean, episode. And we get the uh, sequel to The Fishing Expedition from season one. Hurley and Jin are together again, and luckily, minimal pee involved. Yeah, because Hurley runs back. He's just seen the van. He's seen Roger Workman in the, <laughs> in the van. Uh, and he's trying to tell everyone, look, there's a car. We could fix it. And everyone's like, why do we want to fix the car? And he says, it'll be fun. Be fun. <laughs> we could use some fun. The other thing, too, though, is like, yeah, if there's a car here, it would be useful to have. So people probably should be incentivized to at least check out the car and see if we can get it running. Because if you could, like, you know, drive that around from spot to spot, that might be a useful thing to have in the in the 815ers arsenal but these are the gawkers we're talking about i suppose i do wonder because i guess like Locke and saeed weren't around at the time i wonder how they would have responded to it obviously they're going to have their own plan that gets put into motion at the end of this episode but i can imagine they would at least show some interest in resurrecting a car to get so. around the island i would lock especially would be like oh my god this is great and then saeed would just put his engineering skills to use yeah, exactly. Like, you don't need to make your own luck when you have a freaking MacGyver on the island that can hotwire the car for you. Everybody says no. Everybody steps away except for Sweet Jin, who's just standing there. <laughs> and Hurley walks up and says, thanks, dude. And Jin's just, like, kind of nodding, like, yeah, I guess, like, it seems like you're you're pretty jazzed about whatever's going on, so I'll be a part of it. And then Hurley has the great line of, you've got no idea what you volunteered for, do you? Yeah, and then, um, then, then they, he laughs and Jin laughs because Hurley's laughing. This is a great DDK episode. And this is also mm-hmm. showing, like... Yes. This is a very light Jin episode, not light in terms of content, because those were the past six weeks, but in terms of his comedic context, I yes. feel like we've got some of it, you know, with like the Michael Han and Chewie stuff, but his character for the large part has been extremely intense and there has been some redemption here. But like, this is going to be a bit of the Jin we see in season five, 
right? Yeah. This is this is going to be the djinn that travels through time and ends up becoming a part of Dharma and best buds with Sawyer and the gang. And, and this is a really fun step in his characterization. It's really, really great. Uh, yeah, and uh, another episode this season that captures a lot of what I love about this one. I think I just look at Trisha Tanaka and it's like core theme and lensing it through Hurley. It's just the one that speaks to me. Like it just it, Trisha Tanaka feels like the most me episode of the show. Oh, absolutely. I you know sure I mean? you and I you and I have both had probably many conversations with them respective groups where like we'll come in and we'll either approach our partners or a group of people and be like, let's do something like. I will approach Rob Sosino and say, let's do a Brant Steel yeah, with, tw- yeah, with like 2019 the, Big Brother people. Why do we need to do that? The because it'll be fun. Of, the spirit of the idea that Hurley's got going on here is like when I'm at my best and I am not always at my best, but like when I'm at my happiest and when I'm at my most excited, like this is my approach to life. Uh, and this is how some of like the best, weirdest shit I've ever been involved in has happened is what Hurley is trying to do here. Yeah, so it and, really and, speaks, and this episode speaks spe- to me. This episode to me speaks about like the power of saying yes. And yes. you have spoken about this before, Josh, that you've noticed that I have like... Yeah, a, you say yes to everything. I say yes to everything. <laughs> and it's not just my improvisational background. Yeah. It's because I I am someone who has a lot of anxiety when it comes to saying no to things and closing doors. Because I honestly do believe of like, you know, when a door opens, a window opens, your entire house opens because it explodes from a meteorite. I suppose I love welcoming opportunities into my life because you never know what it might result in. And so when people do approach with these crazy ideas, people say jump and I say how high and when and with what. And it's not just because I'm a crazy person, but I'm also a crazy person. But it's because I know that the universe has a way in which when an opportunity falls into your lap, you don't play hot potato with it. You eat that potato. And I have been eating so many potatoes, this podcast included, for many, many years of my life. And I consider myself a happier person because of it. You're full of starch. Uh, yeah, but later on in this season, we're going to get Catch-22, which I think is a really underrated episode of the show. And one of the things that I love about that is a lot of the stuff that I love about this one, which is... Uh, you know, the, the threesome of, of Hurley, Charlie, Jin, I think is a really good source of just like comedy and like sort of like light adventure. Uh, this is just the lighter of the two, which is why I think I, I prefer it. But Catch 22, uh, is, is another really great episode. So we're getting like comedy gin here and mm-hmm. we get like, yeah, we've had it before, like with the, with the sea urchin thing and like pee on me, pee on my foot. Like, yeah, but, but, that, but that was also, moments. but that was also comedy from like Jin's misunderstanding, right? Like there's, Jin has always been the straight man and not necessarily the the funny guy. I feel like Jin has some opportunities to be the funny guy in this episode, even though he is still having that language barrier that he's working through. All right, so let's cut to Sawyer and Kate. They're very close to home. Uh, Sawyer steps on a dart. Kate says, I'll pull it out in three seconds. Just kidding. Let me just pull it out. (laughs) Sawyer gets a little mad about that. Um, And then they stop down to kind of like reevaluate where they are at. So why why don't we stop down as well and listen in? You know, all you have to do is say sorry. We can start again. Give each other a clean slate. Wait, I want to stop down for a second and say that Kate has... Evangeline Lilly's Canadian roots are showing immensely with the way she said sorry. Did you hear that? No, play it again. All right, so we'll play it again. I wanted to yeah, bring it up so that people yeah. can listen to it now. Okay, here Come we on, go. Yeah. You know, all you have to do is say sorry. We can start again. Give each other a clean slate. Slate. Like on Little House. What? Little House on the Prairie. 
Laura Ingalls used to ride on this little chalkboard at school. You call it Little House? <laughs> I had mono when I was a kid. I missed two months of school. We only got one channel on my trailer. What are we even talking about? James. And I ain't got nothing to be sorry for. So that's how it's gonna be. Welcome home, Sawyer. Welcome home, Kate. Sawyer, come on. All you have to do is say you're sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it's in there. It's there. It's just a, it's one of those things where like with not even non-American actors like British actors you can feel their accent be, a little bit. Mike, it could be that she's still, you know, she was undercover as Annie for mm. so long in Australia as Canadian Annie that she's just like you know some of that has glommed on. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we better pull that dart out, eh? Yeah, like that's just like some of the things, you know? That's where she's at. So, I would say, you know, this episode evokes so much of season one in so many ways. And one of them is, in my opinion, this is a bit of a rough around the edges episode. And I don't mean that as a bad thing, because I do feel like season one, as much as we might love it, they're not perfect episodes in there. There are certainly things that they were trying that didn't work and they were still trying to figure things out. And I will say that I think one of the lesser elements of this episode, personally, for me is the skate stuff. Uh, it does feel like with this and the last episode, we are sort of not circling the drain, but I think just relitigating a lot of points and definitely trying to just poke those fires of that love triangle, even though Jack is out of the picture. I'm not sure at this point what she wanted him to say sorry for, whether that it was because like last episode, he was a bit of a jerk to her, or whether it was for an, ep- an event beforehand. But either way, it seems that they're going to kind of like, stay on their own corners. And I think Kate saying welcome home is essentially a message to Sawyer of like, well, I guess we're going to go back to the way things were before we ended up really having that connection on Hydra Island. It's just one scene, so I don't mind it that much. And also it gives us uh, Sawyer's history with Little House. So oh my God. I'm pretty on board with it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that like it's it's once again kind of reiterating where the two of them are at, um, this inability to kind of just like get on message with each other is what's going to cause Kate to go off without even consulting Sawyer anymore. And Sawyer is about to go on this arc where he is like, he is having to kind of like, you know, come to grips with sort of like the better man that he has become on this island so far without Kate. So by the right. time that they do reunite, you know, a few episodes from now, like five or six episodes from now or something like that, um, that reunion will be really, really powerful. And the two of them will have really, really missed each other. So they're both really ready to, without having to explicitly say sorry, to basically be there. Um, so I don't mind it, actually. I, I think it's it's ultimately okay. But if it, if this is not a, a scene that rocks your jollies, I get it. I totally yeah, no, get it. considering my jolly is not rocked. I don't know. I just, I feel like we needed either this scene in Stranger in a Strange Land or Trisha Tanaka, I don't think we need both. 
You know, it felt a bit repetitive sure. to have yeah, a, yeah. two skate scenes on top of each other. Yeah, but I think that they also need to like, uh, like put like some sort of like previously on button to it. Yeah, because there, there is none in this episode, <laughs> right? And like, you know, they are about to go off on two different missions. You know, Sawyer on the whimsical one, but Kate is about to be part of the A story for a, a little while here. So I, I think like maybe to like separate them and like just like a reminder of why they're separating. I think mm. is well, is probably important. they are literally separated as we have now for what I think this is the third time that we're getting a oh everyone's coming home from the beach I love it. I montage. Love I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah, always yeah. fun to see. Uh, uh, though you know we get some some fun little like rom-com moments right where she's looking at him when he's hugging someone and he's looking at her while she is hugging someone i will say another reason why this evokes season one to me slow-mo is back you yes, know in a big that. way this episode <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's very classic it is so classic, classic to the point where you're asking like what why is there slow-mo and that is quintessential season one in my opinion uh, another flashback. Hurley comes home covered in dirt, dust, and Trisha Tanaka. Uh, and his mother says, what's going on? And he goes, Trisha Tanaka's dead! So, I can't... I, maybe this is, again, another reason why I need to remind myself of numbers. Has Carmen Reyes always called Hugo Hugo? Hasn't pronounced the U of it all? I don't remember. Just because she says it so much in this episode that I'm trying to remember, like, has she always called him who? Which totally makes sense if we're going back to Chris the Glove Taylor and the Doctor Who you would of it all, that she knew. Carmen Reyes knew she'd given birth to a Time Lord. I love Carmen He's Reyes. Hugo. Uh, I got uh, your friend in mind, the great Stefan Johnson, who I believe is uh, patron Discord user number 108. Uh, Stefan wrote in and said, I hate Hurley's mom. She's the worst. She's physically and emotionally abusive. She leeches off her son. She tries to control his life to the extreme. David Reyes has been a better influence on Hurley than his mom ever was. Is that a hot take, Mike? It's interesting because I do think there are certain things that in retrospect, like in numbers, when she's like, hey, lose some weight, Hurley is not great. I would say that if she was probably the one responsible for institutionalizing Hurley, we don't know the exact extent behind that with the whole balcony incident, but that might not have been a good look. And I will say this episode, I think she means well but it does seem a bit like she also wants David in her life for maybe some selfish reasons. So I'm not to say that Carmen is a villainess, but I do think there are maybe purposes to her. And then maybe the fact that she is also such like a deadpan character that she is not necessarily coming across as the most loving, maybe the most tough loving. But I will suffer from a comedic perspective. This is a fantastic episode for Carmen Reyes. Oh, she's so great. She cracks me up. She's <laughs> and she's going to have a speaking of like Hurley believes people. Uh, Carmen is going to have that great moment in season five where she totally believes everything that Hurley says about the lie. Right. So that's the thing. It's just like David Reyes. where like this episode is not good for either one of Hurley's parents, in my opinion. But not only uh, is season, you know, the future is going to be good for not only their sex lives, but also their relationship with their son (laughs) when he comes back. All right. So uh, David Reyes is back. He's here. After 17 years, your father has returned. Nice little bit of exposition there. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Very much. After 17 years, your father has returned. Uh, It's just great Uh, stuff. Is it a missed opportunity, Josh, not to make this 16? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, considering maybe, that, like, if the numbers really are cursed, then that would be one reason why Hurley's not maybe, happy with it. 
maybe because it's not a number, uh, this isn't a cursed event. It's like a mm. joyous thing that his father is back. It's just going to take some time before like, it fully becomes joyous. But you're to eventually believe that their relationship is pretty good. Yeah, I do wonder if it's a thing that Hurley talking about the superstition of it all. Anytime there's like 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, or 42 of anything, it's bad. I guess inherently, inversely, everything that's not those six numbers is good. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Could be. Um, all right. So in the in the forest at the van, uh, Jin is looking at the van. Looks like Roger Workman was on a beer run. Uh, so they want to get uh, they want to get Roger out of the car. Some shenanigans here. I mean, like one of the things about this episode is like it's just a, it's a great like physical episode, physical comedy episode. There's a lot of like yanking around Roger Workman's body and just like sitting next to Roger Linus's dead corpse, uh, and, like his skull falling off, <laughs> and it being like a little bit like Ooh, I don't know how to feel about any of this. Yeah, like, and, this is and, someone's and, dead body, mm-hmm. though. Of course, in retrospect, when we find out it's like Ben's jerk ass dad. That makes it even funnier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like yeah. he becomes their plaything exactly. in the afterlife. Exactly, exactly. Uh, back at the beach, Charlie's gonna go to Desmond. He wants to know more about when he's gonna die. Uh, and Desmond's like, "I was drunk." I yeah, he's like, oh, it, "It doesn't count." Uh, you yeah. know, it's just a one night thing, Charlie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, it's totally one of those things. Like, yeah, you you shouldn't have been drinking. You you said too much. Damn, many, many regrets made, the next made day. Made you a great man, but that great man revealed some secrets. Luckily. Sawyer busts up the awkward conversation. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is so much fun. Uh, this hey, is- Oliver Twist, where's my stuff? Sawyer is overcompensating with the nicknames here between Charlie and Hurley. First of all, I don't think he's ever gone after Charlie's hype before, which also makes sense with the Hobbit of it all, knowing Dominic Monaghan. But I, yeah. I feel like he's never made fun of Charlie being short until this episode. But man, he's going to make up for lost time with all the Hurley I references. He calls him Oliver Twist. And it does just make me think of Dominic Monaghan begging for gruel. Or, or uh, drugs. <laughs> now, Oliver, I'll have, you can ask me three times for gruel, and after uh, that, I won't, uh, I'll give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> can I have some more? More! Alright, well yeah. then I'll take your baby and drown it in the ocean then. Yeah, John Locke runs the orphanage. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Desmond's, sorry about the scotch, that one was on oh, me. To be I, fair, there was three of us. And I love Sawyer just so ins- like, you drank it? Because like I, yeah. I wonder he probably he's a pretty learned man. He probably knows like the 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 value of that McCutcheon, and he was saving it for a rainy day. So I do love so this is a very fun. I mean, listen, Sawyer's always a comic character. We pointed out how he was one of the highlights of A Tale of Two Cities in that example. But this is a fun Sawyer episode as well as like now they're sort of done with the hugs. Now Sawyer is coming to terms with the reality that he has mm-hmm. been ransacked you and stole now- my stuff my scotch my porno <laughs> <laughs> yeah he goes through like the list i guess this is like his hierarchy of needs is like what food magazines porno and scotch so uh they say all right so there were three of us he says okay so it was you the munchkin and who else <laughs> uh and so sawyer's gonna go and find who else he's gonna go up to hurley and Jin, who are trying to tilt the van and i will also it- say hurley does a big step up from the fishing stuff hurley is even though he says he's not great at charades he does some fantastic sign language when when he's yelling like i understand he's like pointing to his mouth and also to Jin's head i know that's probably not in the script but jorge garcia does a great job at like really bad purposely bad miming he, he figures it out and so sawyer shows up 
and I just love this reunion. I love Hurley being so happy to see Sawyer. Probably thought he'd never see him again after everything that happened. Yeah. And here he is. And, and Hurley- the thing I love even more is Jin. Jimbo. Uh, yeah, Jimbo. And just when he goes, Sawyer. Like, I just love the way he says that with the smile on his face. And he says, good to see you. And uh, Sawyer's like, look, somebody's hooked on phonics. Uh, just like, the, there is Ugh. so much joy in this moment uh, of these three people. And even when Sawyer's delivering the bad news of, like, they still have Jack, Hurley's like, that's all right. It's going to be okay. We're going to get him back. Things are turning around. We found a van. You got to help us. And Sawyer's like, why? He's like, because there's beer, dude. <laughs> he goes, all right, well, I lost my scotch. I just lost my McCutcheon. Yeah. What would you, would you rather? One bottle of McCutcheon or an endless supply of 30 racks of gross 30-year-old Dharma beer? I mean, I feel like you're leading me in one direction over the other, so I will take <laughs> that bait and say the McCutcheon any day yeah. of the week. Because at least the McCutcheon will get you singing... Irish brogues. Uh, though uh, I guess the beer makes it kind of want to hang out with Skeleton to teach Jin English. But Skeletor, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is just such. I mean, look, has will Sawyer ever get over the nicknames? Apparently, after Hurley beat the crap out of him in season two, no. Sawyer calls him Snuffy, but I feel like on the spectrum of Sawyer nicknames, Snuffy is actually probably one of the better ones. Probably. Uh, so like, who, doesn't so that- love, who doesn't love Snuffy? And also, uh, Hurley, I think we actually talked about this in during Dave, that Hurley has his own imaginary friend issues once upon a time. Yeah, uh, so, so that's going on and that's, that's really fun. Uh, Locke and Saeed are all business. They want to know everything that's gone on with Kate. Uh, Kate's like, yeah, uh, they live somewhere on the island. We had a, we had basically a captive. Sawyer let him go, but I'm going to go and find Jack. Uh, and I'm going to find some help from someone who's going to help me out. And we get my least favorite lost rope. Who? Who's going to help oh my you? God. Come on. Yeah, this is an interesting group. So this Coming is sort of, on. This is another season one thing, right? Of like the the think tanks that form when the when people like Jack are away. These are sort of like the three people in charge. It's been a little bit, you know, I think after the Mr. Echo of it all, it's been a few episodes since we've really interacted that much with Locke and with Saeed. Obviously, they're going to appear in a much larger capacity next episode, but they're not as absent as Jin was. But this is an episode that I think, like a tide, you know, we've been so concentrated on a few characters for so long, be them Desmond or Jack or whoever, that now we get to bring more people from this ensemble to the forefront. And this is more like a a setup, I suppose. We even talked in season one about how some episodes do a nice, you know, alley-oop into the events from the next episode, and you definitely see that here with what's going to happen in Enter 7-7. Yeah, I I don't know. I I just, I think it's, I really like this crew of Locke, Saeed, and Kate. I think it's like an interesting character combination of three people who are all big-time leaders in their own right, marching to the beats of their own drummer, and they are all going deeper into the jungle for, like, their own reasons. Right. Um, I'm really excited to focus on them next week. I think Enter 7-7, a really underrated episode a really great episode of the show uh so that's going to be really really fun to dig into these guys a little bit more um flashback time lasagna and burgers you know when you can't pick why not both i suppose so and i we get to see more of the ornate decorations that really we know carmen reyes was the one to decorate the mansion uh the carved jesus statue uh the fantastic again work from carmen reyes with the the I don't know if it was scripted or an ad lib moment of her covering little Jesus's ears when she talks about oh, her needs. God, it's, it's 
so, so good. funny. It's so funny. I mean, all of this, we can just talk about it in a, in a nutshell. Like, Hurley firing Mr. Tron and Lady Tron. By just throwing them, a like, lot severance. of severance. Yeah, I throwing think a lot of severance. I think they're going to get hired back, because I'm pretty sure when we see uh, the, you know, there's a moment, I think, in either at the end of Season 4 or beginning of Season 5, when Hurley is asking, like, who's there? And he goes, you know, Tron? Lady Tron. So I'm at some point, maybe with Hurley gone, Carmen Reyes hired them back because she wanted the butlers. I love the Trons. The Trons are, are great underrated characters, even though that lasagna looks like trash. Oh my god. Well that's the thing. I think they're just like, listen, these people are not used to much. So I think if we could get get away with like it's bargain just basement. Like, it's literally just like a Stouffer's lasagna. <laughs> and like a Stouffer's lasagna absolutely has a time and place. I am not going to besmirch the Stouffer's lasagna. But you don't have, hire a, a waiter or a, yeah, a butler. Yeah, like a multi-millionaire, like, a, you know, you've got a hundred-something million dollars and you're getting Stouffer's lasagna for dinner. I'd be like, yeah, that's, I guess I can keep you humble. You know, I guess that's good. I guess, but but like, like, <laughs> like, you, you always know where you came from, right? Like, I don't know if Hurley's eating caviar anytime soon but it's over. or maybe he's saying to the trons like i hate my dad can you gross him out with some stovers or maybe he's like this is the last meal my dad ate before he left us make sure you want to remember word yeah. for word yeah yeah yeah. coagulated cheese slice for yeah, coagulated this, the, cheese no slice. We, we like wedding cake we saved the lasagna in the fridge since he left for 17 years serve it to him let him eat his <laughs> shame yeah, so Hurley wants his dad to leave, and Carmen is insisting that he stays. He's staying here. Staying where? She covers uh, the little Jesus <laughs> statue's ears. Hugo, I have needs. Hurley goes, no, no, yeah, no, no. Such a good moment from Jorge Garcia. <laughs> Hurley says, goes, says something about, like, I want to get rid of it all. Like, he says, like, you know, the house, the cars, the livestock. Do they have cattle somewhere? Is Maybe that where the burgers where getting, came from? Yeah, that's how they, they got the burgers. Did they slaughter the cow? You know, grate the cheese, rend the fat. Did they yeah. do all that to make the burgers? Yeah, Juliet style. Uh, maybe Juliet's burgers are coming from Hugo Reyes livestock. Oh, that's interesting. That's some outsourcing. I mean, maybe Jacob knew the connection and was like, listen, <laughs> I can get you a great deal at this place. Uh, so Hurley's, he's gonna, uh, his mom's gonna be like, just go show your dad what you still got. He's gonna be so psyched to see it. He still has the car, the car from the beginning of the episode. He never let it go. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense. Uh, this is a, an unfinished project. And I think the unfinished aspect of it is there more so than like the nostalgic factor of it. This is something in the first scene, it, it was cut out of the, the opening clip, but after they walk out of the car before David leaves, Hurley asks like, okay, what are we going to fix today? And I think to him, it's probably some sort of reminder of the things in his life that need fixing. And it's a bit self-effacing in a way, much like a character like Hurley is. But it is sort of like this itch that will has never been scratched at this point. It's a 17-year itch, in a manner of speaking. And I, I do think it serves as a big reminder to him, because Hurley is not necessarily into cars uh, as a person. Otherwise, he would be tuning in with Aaron for Sawyer, Sawyer reading through all these car magazines. But I think it serves as to a reminder of him of like the unfulfillment he has lived up to this point of the fact that he had this relationship with his dad through cars. And because the job has been undone, his father's job of being there in Hurley's life has been undone up to this point. Uh, back on the island, uh, speaking of cars, they're going to get the Dharma van upright. Uh, there's tons of beer in there. Sawyer's super psyched to see it, but then he's less excited to see the skull that's in there. And they're like, no, don't worry. That's just Roger. It's just Roger. Uh, Hurley tries to get the van to work. It does not work, uh, which leads to the following exchange between Hurley and Sawyer and Jin by the side of the Dharma van. 
Flat and it stinks. Can you get it to work? Do you know what's wrong? Chill out. Let the man do his thing. Dude, that beer's been sitting there since before Rocky Three. Maybe even two. It's probably poisoned by now. Skeletor seems to like it. Bottoms up. It's not cool, dude. That guy had a mom, a family, and friends. Oh, and a name. Not Skeletor, it's Roger Workman. It's Workman, you blockhead. That's his job. He was a Dharma janitor. Yeah, well, you should still respect the dead. Oh, can you fix it? No. No, we'll fix it. But you have to. And can't you try, dude? I mean, we got to get this running. Hey, leave the man alone. He's right. No fix. Take a look at that mess. There's no way it's going to get running. How thick are you? It's your problem, man. Why, why do you want this to work? I don't care if it works. Why is it so important to you? Because we can all use a little hope. If it's hope you're looking for, S.A., you're on the wrong damn island. For sure as hell ain't no hope here. Yeah, there isn't but any there's a that, smaller island uh, <laughs> where where Kate and I were, and there was hope there because Kate eventually will be Hope Van Dyne right. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Exactly, and there's no Gawker named Hope, but I think our Philly is definitely now going to bring a character named <laughs> Hope in, who Ronnie and Billy are probably going to kill, either accidentally or on purpose. Sawyer's POV here is very interesting in the wake of every man for himself, right? It sort of is like the attitude he had during episodes five and six in that he's not exactly as despondent as he was in those cages, but I think he is a bit like disillusioned with everything. He saw firsthand how much of a grip Ben has over each and everything that they do. I could imagine there's probably some paranoia over the fact of Maybe Ben is watching us and he wants this all to happen. But Sawyer feels like there's really no way out, even though they have escaped. So I think his nihilism and cynicism will also, in character with what we know of Sawyer, also makes a lot of sense with the the context he's in right now. And yeah. I can imagine with Kate, it also leaves him a heartbreak does not help here. Yeah, but I also think that one of the things that's great about where Sawyer is at this point in time is that like he's not in the woods with Hurley crushing frogs and like mm-hmm. he's like on a mission to kill right now. Literally what he's doing is like he's thrilled to be back around two people that he has like has to have come to grips with the fact at this point that like he kind of likes these people. <laughs> he kind of likes so he, he's, Sawyer kind of likes Jin. He kind of likes Hurley. He kind of likes their company. Uh, and he's able to just like sit there and drink a beer with him. And yet his earnest feeling is like there is no hope. Hope is foolish right now. But that doesn't mean like he can't be having like a fun time with his friends, basically. So like there is there isn't like a meanness to what he is saying. No, here, if no, that makes it's, sense. it's it's no, it's more despondency to a certain extent or just matter of factness. It's less so like it's like it, there isn't hope here. But that doesn't mean it's the end of the world. We could still drink beer in the woods and just catch up. It's basically like sort of the vibe I'm getting from here. The one thing I think Stranger in a Strange Land has, has above Trisha Tanaka, honestly, are the act breaks. Because you talked about it last week. I think Stranger in a Strange Land actually has some like very big act breaks. I feel like these are a little 
more awkward and down. Maybe it's because it, that obviously takes on less of an intense tone. Well, there's no stakes. There's really no no stakes in this episode. No, more burgers in, than in stakes. Like, yeah, it's it's a, it's a very soft episode. So like the the act breaks are soft. Yeah. Um, you know, and I love that. I love that this is a soft episode. This is the this is Lost's hangout episode. This is the hangout episode. So like there isn't like something like thunderous to cut to right now. Um, that's okay. Not every episode has to have that. Yeah, though I think, you know, the previous act break was, uh, they tried to do that a bit with like the who of it all. So it's clear they were still trying to attempt that, but I agree. I just think it, it was an interesting comparison point between the two and just shows how vastly different these two episodes have been. Uh, another flashback. David's gonna, <laughs> David's gonna wake up early. Sorry about the noise last night. Your mom's a very passionate woman. Oh, God. Why uh, are they saying this? It's their son. Uh, uh, oh, no. Is it the mansion not big enough uh, that Hurley had to be kept up no. by the roaring screams of ecstasy uh, from the parents' no. race? Oh, God. <laughs> it's just so bad. Then they go to the tarot card reader. The tarot oh, card reader's like, oh, these numbers there there's darkness there's death it surrounds you more is coming then her always like hey so you're a fraud right you're, my dad put you up to this she's like how dare you he says i'll give you a thousand bucks to admit it. how dare you the mystic arts aren't subject to bribes ten thousand dollars your dad put me up to it oh such a funny scene <laughs> Now we know Richard Malkin's asking price, right? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Lynn Karnoff on a Master Softman revealed she was Richard Malkin the entire time. Um, ben Martell asked us, the great Ben behind the curtain asked, is this the funniest episode of Lost? Uh, I don't know, but like, there are just so many moments in this episode that kill me, and this is one yeah. of them. It's like the, the, the fortune teller just immediately going, your dad put me up to it. Yeah, I know. I, I do think this is the... Oh, actually, I don't know, because I think... The flashbacks and numbers, depending on your sense of humor, can also be pretty damn funny because they're ridiculous. But I will say, I think between main story and flashback, I think this is the funniest episode, though I will still say that Arse getting blown up is the funniest scene, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is the this is the lightest episode of Lost, like in and like in the best way. Like yeah. this is this is the most lighthearted episode of the show, I we, think, for me. And interestingly enough, I looked this character up on Lostpedia, Lynn Karnoff. This is not the last time we're going to see her. Oh, really? <laughs> In the Sideways universe. Oh, shit. Hurley owns that temp agency that Locke interviews with. You might remember when he does this really weird job interview where the person asking questions is like, what animal would you consider yourself? That's Lynn Karnoff. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's like meaningful. I don't know if that's Hurley being like, hey, I won the lottery. Let me recruit yeah. these people from my life. Sort of like what he did with Randy Nations. But yeah, this is not a one off appearance for this character. Um, that's that's really interesting. I had no idea. Uh, back at the island, Sawyer's uh, doing his best to teach Jin some English, teaching him how to say beer, how to say car. How to say International House of Pancakes. Come on, Ugh. Sawyer. He's, he's cruising for another bruising, I think. He throws a beer at Hurley to <laughs> cheer him up. Uh, like, to get it. Like, come on, start drinking with us. And the beer goes past Hurley and rolls down a hill. And so Hurley now has the idea. And he, uh, he needs one more person along for the literal ride. So he's going to go to Charlie, who had been shaving earlier, but suddenly has like a, uh, I guess this is the five o'clock shadow is what they call it, even though it's like five o'clock. It's like five o'clock the next day shadow is it's, what it looks like. It's five o'clock somewhere. Is this his yeah. superpower? Charlie can grow his hair really quickly. I thought it was that he could manipulate rocks in the earth, but maybe this is something. I'm, no, to I'm do a bloody it. hair god. 
Yeah, bloody hair got. All right, so Hurley's going to come to Charlie, and uh, one of the great scenes of the episode occurs here. Dude. Hey, dude. Stop moping. Come on. I'm moping. Thinking. Uh-oh. When people stare out at the ocean, get all quiet-like, they're moping. So get up and come with me. That car I found, we're getting it running. What's the point? Ow! What'd you do that for? Snap out of it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself because someone said you're going to die. I'll get an idea that's going to help us both. Now, it is dangerous. And there's a very good chance that you will die. You're supposed to convince me to come with you? It is. Because if you don't die, they'll me to win. Win? Look, I don't know about you, but things have really sucked for me lately and I could really use a victory. So let's get one, dude. Let's get this car started. Let's look death in the face and say, whatever, man. Let's make our own luck. What do you say? Over a car! It's just so great! <laughs> yeah. It's just, and, and <laughs> such this, a great speech for nothing! But I mean, I get where he's coming from. Shit's been bad for yeah. Hurley lately. Shit's not been great for Charlie either. Let's just get a van started. Why not drive the van? If we can get a car started on this remote island in the middle of nowhere, how much fun is that going to be to just be able to drive around? Let's do it. And if we die, then we die in a fiery explosion, and this whole nightmare is over. Yeah, and finally, I get final destination for the whole Mr. Clucks of it all. I mean, this is... I mean, this is a spiritual sequel to the solitary B plot, right? Of Hurley making the golf course, the which, golf course, which yeah. was another. The two most infamous Hurley Charlie gifts are the two of them doing the the psych out dance on the golf course, and this, where the two of them are celebrating when the van starts up. And I, I don't find that uh, to be, you know, I, I, I think it makes sense because these are two episodes where this relationship is really. At its strongest, it has been a surprisingly separate season for the two of them, even though they sort of work together to co-conspire against Desmond. But it's moments in scenes like this that make you remember just like how great of a pair they've been ever since Hurley helped Charlie catch the fish in the ocean so he could impress Shannon. Yes, let's remember that plot. As oh, love yeah. Hurley pulling a, sh- a ch- uh, I'm going to call her a chair, a share and slapping Charlie and pulling a moonstruck saying snap out of it. Yeah, even after he had gotten smacked by his own mother earlier in the episode in a flashback, so paying it forward. Yeah. Um, all right, is this the scene of the episode? I think that this is one of the the funniest moments on Lost, according to a lot of different people. It's Sawyer and Jin by the Dharma van. I'm sure you knew as soon as Trisha Tanaka was coming up that you'd be hearing this one. So let's just give the people what they want. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, nice. Keep it coming. Uh, you were right. Okay, that's two. Hit me. Those pants don't make you look fat. Now you got it. Only three things a woman needs to hear. It's Sawyer. Sawyer. <laughs> it's just so it's so it's such a classic Sawyer moment. And Daniel Day Kim is just very funny with the delivery. I, I was I'm hoping that after Sawyer left the island on the Ajira plane that he started up his own line of muzzy videotapes, but for mm-hmm. like incels of how to learn yeah. English but in a demeaning way. <laughs> 
Oh my god. Just we la zuvi. Yes, that's uh, French for speaking. No, these children aren't French, they're American. <laughs> but he's American. Uh Hurley shows back up. Uh he's try they're I I don't remember exactly what precipitates this, but they get into like a nickname exchange. Oh, it's uh I think he he calls him he calls him something. No, he calls him Jumbotron and Hurley yeah, falls what's up your going, problem, Jumbotron. And he Shut goes, Shut up, redneck red neck man. Man <laughs> Sorry goes, Touche. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> Sawyer is just on fire in this episode, calling Charlie Jiminy Cricket. Oh. <laughs> it's not even that short. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Uh, Oliver Twist and Jiminy Cricket are just like two great ways of describing Charlie. M- maybe the others are just that much taller that Sawyer thought in his cage. Like, yeah, you know what? Charlie really is that short. I should point that out next time I see him. He's had nothing but time in the cage, so he's just been developing a backlog of nicknames, which is going to make it harder for him when he loses the nickname bet uh some sometime from now uh but he's gonna they're they're gonna show them the hill we're gonna push the car down this is gonna be great uh meanwhile back in the past we're gonna get the final scene between hurley and his father of this episode and the final scene of the two of them together until hurley leaves the island so you're going to australia huh long way to go because i'm stupid numbers i'd really like you to leave when your mom called me about the lottery, <laughs> I was on my bike before she could hang the phone up. I'm getting old. Yeah, I saw my retirement. <sighs> You're right. I'm here for the money. Well, you're not getting any of it. Well, that's not why I'm here talking to you now. I'm here talking to you now because going to Australia is not going to break any curse. You don't need to leave. You just... You need a little hope. We make our own luck, Hugo. You know what I think you should do? What? I think you should give away the money. All of it. Every penny. Save enough for a new carburetor. Work on the Camaro. You know, just you and me. Take it off the blocks and make that road trip to the Grand Canyon. Never too late for a fresh start. from Sydney. Hey, I'll, I'll be here when you get back. And he is. Uh, he and is. It, and, it, and it's a really interesting role reversal. It's a great scene from Cheech, huh? Yeah, really great scene from Cheech, which again, like, really surprised me that he could bring this this heaviness. I really, lo- I really love that scene between him and, and his son. And I think, like, this is, like, these are words that Hurley needs to hear as he's on his way towards becoming like the most important person on the planet, right? Um, I love this. I really love this. I think that this is just like a very sweet moment of like, uh, you're not going to like break some curse. What you need is hope. You need to make your own luck. Give the money away. Get rid of it. Uh, and just like get back to basics and create your own life. Like you can do that. I think it's just like a very like the sentiment behind it is really, really sweet. And I think there's an interesting role reversal here in that now Hurley 
is the one that is going to leave his father behind for a while. Uh, and, you know, David is, is going to be there again when he gets back. But now Hurley is the one to sort of leave his family behind, even though the other person wants him in his life. Talk to me about David's through line here. Do you so do you take him for his word that he did come here for the money? And then what, like within the sweet throes of passion he was in with Carmen, he began to realize that he he needed his family after all. Yeah, and the time he's spending with Hurley here and seeing the pain that his son is clearly in and and probably like, you know, you get to a certain age, you evaluate like what you've done in your life and, you know, the pain that he he has likely caused his son. Um, I think all of, I, I buy it as earnest because I think that the future actions of David Reyes back it up. Uh, like this is a guy who sticks around and that has a good relationship with Hurley. Um, so I, I buy it. I, I choose to buy it. I think you could read it however you want to. But, um, for me, there's really no reason to think that this isn't completely sincere. And I love it. I think it's, I think it's a really, it's a, it's a rare moment of like a, it's like a rare positive father son moment on yes. this show. We can count them on one hand basically and that's another finger ticked off which i also believe is a bedroom habit of the reyes as well (laughs) michael (laughs) lots of enchiladas bloom full bloom uh back at the island all right we're gonna push the van down the hill and charlie's gonna ride shotgun and sawyer and general like yeah we're not getting in the car but we'll push uh, and, and, I, so, and, I, and I really do love the moment of Charlie's step because, I mean, for much as, as he has been sort of a Debbie Downer, Charlie does have this like matter of fact smile he cracks and confidently says, I came to ride shotgun. I just think it's a really sweet moment. Victory or death, man. This is like you and me. Yeah. This is when we started down the hatch. We're like, we're going to push this thing down the hill. You sure you want to do this? And you're like, victory or death, Wiggler. We got which this. Which I think we're still like, uh, still a bit iffy up in the air as to which one's going to end in. <laughs> it's going to be, it could be both. It could, yeah, why not both? <laughs> Much like lasagna and burgers. <laughs> <laughs> victory and death are natural pairs <laughs> like burgers and lasagna. Uh, all right, so the van is going to go downhill and and uh, will it be victory? Will it be death? Let's listen and see what the answer is. Push! Because essentially the next minute is just three dog night playing while like four men are just going, woo, ha, 
It's so good, though. It's so I much know, it's, it's fun. More, it's more it's visual than audio, unfortunately. Sure, but it's such a blast. It's such a blast. We choose victory over death. Um, you know, we had people writing in to ask us, like, how does this episode help further the narrative of Hurley ultimately being the protector of the island, including Dan Brennan had asked us about that. And, like, what, what more do you need, Your Honor? Like, this is a guy who... He said he was going to start a van because it would be fun and we need a win and they got it. And, this and, is the which same is a guy veritable who started the golf tournament. Yeah, you it's know, a veritable this is, miracle on the island, right? This is a car that's been dead for 30 years. He made his years. own luck. Yeah. And maybe from that capacity, maybe Jacob helped kickstart the motor uh, at the last second, right? Maybe Jacob saw something in this guy and is like, I don't know what this guy's doing, but I want a piece of the action. Let me kick yeah, something out before he, before he dashes himself on the black rocks, not to be confused with the ship. This is just such a fun scene. Now look. The way it's shot, should they have easily reached the rock before the carts are done? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. Because that thing is hurtling yeah. down it's the close. hill. But it's, <laughs> it's so <close. laughs> it's so good. I love the use of Shambhala from Three Dog Night. Not only was it playing in the beginning, but like the show, it's the, the the song itself. I mean, Shambhala, the, it's named after this sort of like Buddhist property of the pure land. And it's uh, believed to be like a society where everyone is enlightened. And I think when you look at like this van driving around, Hurley smiling to himself, these four guys, and not even like these four characters. It just seems like the four actors were just having a genuinely incredible time hooting and hollering as the van drove around in circles. Like that feels like enlightenment to me. So I feel like the use of the song makes so much more sense and segues beautifully into once again, much like we did with La Mer uh, back in whatever the case may be, Giacchino does a fantastic job of segueing it into his own score, this incredibly scored mm-hmm. version of Shambhala yeah. done instrumentally. Yeah, over the montage as everyone's going home and Jin and Son are together and Charlie's telling Claire everything that yeah, happened. And Jin, Charlie and Jin ha- presents the white flower to Son and my Quan loving heart bursts. You know, and Sawyer's watching. He's sad because Kate's gone, but he's got beer at least. And like to put another point on like the victory for Hurley and where Hurley is going in his life on this show. He's got this win under his belt, and there he is with a car, uh, which means a lot to him to start a car against all odds, considering how big of a role that was in his childhood. Something he was never able to do, Mm -hmm. by himself specifically. Yes, and he's done it, and he's just, he's looking out across the valley of the island with this smile on his face, with his elbow sticking out of the car, and everyone's gone, and he's just going to take it for one last spin by himself. That is, that is the note that like you can imagine the future of lost is after mm-hmm. the end of this show and so it's it's beautiful to me and like it is so hopeful uh you need a little hope you make your own luck you make your own hope this is like when i say it's like the most lighthearted episode of lost it's like the most like feel good episode of lost it's one of those episodes that's like you you can't you can take on anything you can take on anything maybe not anything but you can take on a lot you can take on a lot you can maybe take on more than you can think um it's a valuable lesson for me with some things that i've been facing recently like it's just it's a really it's a really uh important message to convey in such a beautiful fun jovial package Mm -hmm. um it's just like if there you know there are a few episodes of like all right you know, in the time when I'm not watching Lost every single week. So, like, I'm not watching Lost just for fun right now anymore. And I'll be interested to know when the next time that happens once we complete the rewatches. But in the times that I would just, like, be like, well, I'm bored. I would love to just, like, get some comfort food on. What's an episode of Lost to throw on? Trisha Tanaka, 
top of the list. Mm-hmm. Others are like, maybe Expose is fun, but like Trisha Tanaka is like an episode that you can just throw on and basically know nothing about Lost other than a bunch of people who are <laughs> stranded on an island. I mean, you don't need, there's no previously on, so good luck trying to figure out what that is if you haven't seen it before. You know, it's just like a good feel good episode of the show and like i i think like anytime i would want to just watch an episode of lost this would be a contender mm. i think like the like it would, it depends on what i want do i want just like one episode of lost and that's it or do i want to like snowball like something right. into like a into a bigger rewatch or do you, you want to like it's like when you turn on me you're like do you want something to cry to do you want something mm. to like sing along to or do you want to put on three dog night and just like smile and yell at the top of your lungs I want to bring in a question here from the great Jim Fells, who we'll get into some music stuff later specifically from him. But he brings up a good point about the whole make-your-own-luck thing. He says, The episode even seems to suggest the curse was only ever as real as Hurley made it. The argument can be made that it's a bit of a cop-out, though personally I wouldn't dare make that argument because the episode is just so much fun. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the way the writers chose to deal with this storyline. So you're comparing this to numbers specifically, Josh, because I feel like those are really the two, like, columns i think of of hurley flashbacks really what do you make of how they sort of i would say put to rest the whole curse motif of the hurley storyline do you think that they put it to rest because like he's pretty tortured when he leaves the island i don't know i feel like for that's less so about like associative with him and more so about like you know stuff being done to him and the decisions he made and more so about you know the current situation that he's in i feel like the bad luck stuff i personally think we sort of Put that to rest. Plus, we welcome in a whole entirely new chapter, which is Hurley talking to dead people, which I feel like is more of the focus than the, the superstitious of it all. I think Hurley's a guy who's, you know, searching for purpose, like any of the other characters on this show. And here on the island, he's finding it and he's like really coming into his own. And he's liberated from the money. He's liberated from the fame. Uh, and he's able to just like kind of like be himself and who he is is just this incredible pure guy. Um, and when he leaves and now he's like even more famous as one of the Oceanic Six and even more wealthy because of the Oceanic Settlement. Um, a lot of those old ghosts come back to haunt him quite literally in the fact that he's able to like see ghosts at that point in time. Um, and I think it, to me, it's like he, he has, there, there is something for him to do. Um, Hurley is somebody who the world needs desperately, not as a celebrity, <laughs> but the world needs Hurley's. The world needs people like him and the world needs to be, um, pushed forward by people who have the heart of his size. Um, and I think that it is at its brightest and purest here on the island in the nexus of what is also hovering over like the scariest, most nefarious evil energy in the planet, according to the world of lost. Um, so I think that that that's the thing. It's like, it's like the closer he is in proximity to the curse, the less cursed he specifically is. If that makes sense. Yes. Because he's like closer to his purpose. So I spoke about this a bit on the numbers podcast, how I myself uh, would consider myself a superstitious person. And a lot of that is connected to my anxiety of feeling like in a world filled with variables that, for lack of a better term, like you can be the constant. And whether right. it's as silly as the shirt you're wearing, how your hair is, whether you took three steps to the bathroom or four before you did something. There is a weight you can put upon yourself that whether something goes well or doesn't go well, you could say, well, I, you know, I can either let things go and therefore let go of control, 
or I can put some onus on myself, no matter how inconsequential it may be, because that means I can do something different, that there's not hopelessness there. It's a very weird, vicious cycle. And I feel like in doing this, they made a very healthy step with the Hurley character as somebody who has made that healthy step themselves. I'm someone who, as I've looked more into myself and the reasons why I have spent three decades of my life being as superstitious and panicky and anxious as I am, it it made me sort of realize what I can seed and how I can approach the world. And this idea of like, in admitting how powerless I can be, it almost makes me more powerful Uh, that sometimes things do not go your way, but it is our actions that speak for themselves. And if cards fall a different way, like I said before, opportunities tend to present themselves. So it's, it's like, I believe in a different facet of the universe than what I did before and it very much vibes with what Hurley's feeling here, where, again, Numbers, he was all about the curse. And he he didn't leave Numbers being like, well, I guess the curse doesn't exist. No, no, no. He's like, oh, thank you, Danielle Rousseau. You finally understand. Yeah, Someone finally understands right. who I am. Someone who has, been, who has gone through so much tragedy. Here, he's finally able to say, like, listen, what I have been doing with the cloud that has been over my head, like, I'm going to turn that into some sunshine. There's going to be weather above my head no matter what. But damn it, if I'm going to make it light instead of dark, that's going to make things so much better. And it's no coincidence that I think that it, it leads on a path that's going to end up with a really happy ending for him. So I think it's a logical step forward psychologically for the character. And I think it's also a bit of a microcosm of arguably the way you should view Lost when the creators decide to say, all right, maybe we don't need the curse you know, the numbers are fun, but maybe we don't need Hurley's bad luck to be a thing for the character for the rest of his time on the island. And instead, they focus on the journey of the character. That provides a much more beneficial, larger, warmer experience than if you go back to every Hurley episode being like, okay, but why is he bad luck? Why right. him? What's the curse? It's, it's a better way to look at this overall. Um, the episode ends with the Kate, Locke, and Saeed storyline yeah, going into the jungle. so that's the thing. Is I, oh, I love this ending. You don't like it? I don't. I feel like, I just feel like it would have been such a, a much stronger ending had they ended on this montage. You know, how many times has Lost done it? I feel like it's, it's a great thematic representation of the episode. This feels to me like we have to set up next week. So let's bring this scene in here. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's absolutely what it is, but I'm, I'm, I'm into it because this catapults us into the next arc of the season. And I love this arc of the season. Mm. Uh, I know Ben Martell feels uh, differently as it pertains, especially to John Locke and his arc that's coming up. But I really love this combo of Kate Locke and Saeed and throwing Rousseau in the mix as well. I think some really great storytelling happens with sort of like this odd quartet plus uh, Mikhail once they have Mikhail <laughs> in here. So I, lo- I love that we're setting that stuff up. I love in this scene when they're like, uh, she says like, you don't, you don't know where to go and you're not motivated to look for Jack. And Locke's like, you're wrong. Not about the motivation. Oh, I'm not motivated to look Locke for Jack. Locke is such a jackass. <laughs> he's such a dude. Like, he, she's such a dude. Let's look at episode three where he's like, I'm going to go get Jack. Don't you worry. And then now it's like several episodes later, like, what about yeah. that? And well, with, with, with Kate, who he's already doxxed previously as she is the fugitive, uh, you know, like, I think maybe like he's just not always, uh, you know, the kindest to Kate. Maybe he's yeah. just a little more honest with there, how he truly There's a fun, shady side moment here that I believe uh, listener yes. April came up with where. Yeah. You know, they ask, like, why are you doing this? And Locke says, like, because of a, a beam of light and the way that hit Mr. Echo's stick. And he just has because this... Because of the way the sun hit Mr. Echo's stick when we were burying And him. he has a fantastic smile afterwards that's just like, can you believe this shit? And it's so fantastic.
fantastic, especially knowing what we know about Saeed's character. It's, it's doubly fantastic. It's great. It's really, really great. And then uh, Russo comes out and Kate says, I'm pretty sure I met your daughter. And so that that is the ending. I guess if, if it's not to your taste, I get that. And not, your reasoning is is definitely... Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's on, to, on the same level to me, actually, as the ending of A Tale of Two Cities, where like when you know what the information is, like we don't like now we we know who the who is and we also knew up to this point and it was inferred that Alex was Danielle's daughter so I don't think we necessarily needed the big episode closer to be like oh my god this is the Alex that she spoke of I I do think that maybe in a different world ending with this montage which again lost it so much in season one to great effect let's talk about another Saeed episode in solitary and enter seven seven with you know you shall not walk alone I, I think that there could have been a way to do this but I understand the utility behind it and hey Daniel Russo making her appearance in season three. Yeah. Yep. So she's here. She's hanging out. Uh, you mentioned Jim Fells earlier. Uh, what do you want to mention from the music score this week? So there were there have been three Hurley themes that have been set up through, you know, his episodes, and all three of them make an appearance in the first act of the episode. We've talked about before that Hurley is Michael Giacchino's favorite character to do the score for because he can do so many different themes behind the character, quite literally. One version is his sad theme, which represents lost uh, or loss. We hear it, you know, when he dug a grave for Libby in three minutes. We're going to hear it in the end when he's crying over losing Jack. And we hear it in the first scene when David Reyes uh, pulls away. And we ironically enough hear it when the van goes careening towards the rocks. So maybe they would have been lost. When Hurley gives his monologue, we hear his second theme, which Giacchino says, you know, represents his truth, which we heard at the end of Everybody Hates Hugo, again, a a nice, nicely done montage where he's giving everything away. And when Hurley's chasing Vince to the jungle, of course, here comes the numbers theme, which also symbolizes like the kooky supernatural wackiness that Hurley is affiliated with. So this is really an all encompassing episode of Hurley in that it dealt with the supernatural elements and the curse, the humor and the heart as well. Um, let's get into the MVPs and LVPs. And just to, to spoil it a little bit, for the MVPs, um, the van crew is is getting the hook up here. Yeah, uh, and I, th- this was a tough episode. Last episode, it was tough to give out MVP points and rife with LVP points. The exact opposite this episode, in my opinion, where it's there was a lot of MVP points to go around, and so people will be left on the cutting room floor. And LVPs were a bit harder to come by just because it was so much fun to see a lot of these characters. Not for me. I had two LVPs. One goes to Trisha well, Tanaka yeah, you had, There are two exploding. characters that were dead in this episode. So. Yeah, Trisha Tanaka explodes, and Roger Workman is Has been a dead, dead for body. A while. So those are easy LVPs for me. Uh, well, let's go back to the MVPs. You got three. I've got two. Who are you giving them to? I gave I gave a double tap to Hurley. Mm-hmm. Remarkable Hurley episode. All right. And I'm going to Stefan Johnson, Gerger Loins, patron number 108. I am giving an MVP point to Charlie. Yeah, he deserves it. it. He deserves it. You know, he is the one to also, as much as Hurley helps Charlie, Charlie helps Hurley. Uh, getting in that van, it's an uptick in, I, I do think this is sort of the beginning of Charlie's true season three arc where he stops being that season two asshole and finally has some really interesting character moments, both, you know, bright and not so bright. So I want to give him some kudos here and uh, I'll give my other MVP point to Sawyer because first of all, Josh Holloway is really, really fantastically funny in this episode, but also he teaches Jin some English that some could never do. Yeah, and I'll give my final MVP point to Jin. I want to round out the crew. Daniel Day Kim is super funny in this episode. Jin's a good friend. 
he signs up for the thing, even though he doesn't know what he's signing up for. Uh, and he's super game the whole time. So let's just give it to that whole Dharma van crew, I think, is definitely the way to go. Wow. So after our all-British uh, MVP <laughs> section, now we're even like focusing in further with, you know, segmented to one specific vehicle. Yeah. Um, so I am uh, for LVPs, I've already said. Got I've got characters. one for... For Roger Workman, one for Trisha Tanaka. Very easy for me this week. I'll throw another point onto Trisha Tanaka. Look, I understand you said that you don't know what she's going through, but we're both like on-air personalities from a certain perspective. I don't think that's any excuse to be a diva about the the fluff pieces you've been given. I would take a fluff piece any day of the week. So screw. Oh, I can't. I can't pretend to be better than Trisha Tanaka here. Oh, I'm. Def- uh. I'm, def- I'm, def- <laughs> I'm sure. I've, I'm sure I've lost my shit. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, in, not in front before. of somebody. You are not. In not it. in front of somebody. Not in front of somebody. Very absolutely correct. Yeah. So uh, Trisha, is, Trisha Tanaka gets an LVP yeah. point for me. I'm going to give an LVP point. We you mentioned at the very top here. David Reyes has some redemption moments at the end of this episode, and they will come. But yep. dude left for 17 years. Not a good thing, man. Not a good thing. And I'm going to give my final LVP point. This is a latecomer. I'm going to give it to the fraud psychic. I'm going to give it to Lynn Karnoff. <laughs> there is a push. She almost gets hurly like uh, naked just yeah. to just to trick him. I'm not appreciative of that. And also because <laughs> she comes back in season six, this means that there's a chance she might get another LVP point. So this is this might not be the one off that you may think. Um, so the 4.2 stars, it's straightforward for me. It's a 4.2. Fully get that it's not a 4.2 or even remotely resembling that for so many people, but it's just a personal favorite. It makes me so happy. I think that this, um, this episode is like the best lighthearted example of the core message of Lost, Mm. which really is like you make your own luck. Um, and it is, it is something I tell myself often. When I think of the messages of loss, it often manifests in my mind as you make your own luck. It is a big part of the reason why I've been able to do the things I've been able to do in my life. So uh, I owe Trisha Tanaka is dead quite the debt. Uh, 4.2 for me very easily. So, yeah. So obviously it's not going to be a 4.2 mm-hmm. for me. I think the major things that are sticking points for me, and they're not major things, but I am not really a fan of really any of the Kate scenes this episode. I either find them superfluous, like they could have belonged in another episode, or just, you know, you, you want to just, like, it's the poochie thing. Whenever I say this, I would just be like, let's go back to the van. I just want to see them yeah. hang out in the van some yeah, more. Sure, so, sure. so I think, that, you know, it, it's that does not make this a perfect episode. Uh, so I put it in the awesome tier, much like Hurley says to the the van, uh, which makes it an opposite episode of Lost, one or two major things that are meh or weak. And I was trying to compare it against the other episodes of season three. And where I settled on Josh, I mean, this episode, I agree, has made me feel the best just coming out of it in a while with any episodes of Lost. Even the episodes of Lost that were so good, I'm like, that's so cool. This one just gives you the biggest smile on your face, even if it doesn't end on a bit of a weird note. I ended up putting it right... I liked it a little bit more than Not in Portland, but a little bit less than A Tale of Two Cities. I feel like Tale of Two Cities is just a more solid episode in general. So I gave... Not important with 3.7. I gave Tale of Two Cities a 3.9. That settles me in at a 3.8. Nice. Smack down in the middle like a nice little patty within two burger buns. I think in, with a side. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think our ratings sort of represent what our our the hatchlings had a lot of like 3.7, 3.8, some some low fours, a couple of 4.2s. I think with the exception of like a 3.2 and a 3. I think everyone is is pretty much, you know, 
in the same car right now with regards yeah. to how we feel about this episode. I think like it's it's the degree to which you love it, but it, it feels like, you know, looking at the scores, yeah, I don't think a single person rated it below a three. Uh, like, it's a bubblegum episode, and the, man, that flavor. You want to chew on it for a while. It doesn't lose its flavor anytime soon. Uh, it's not like the full course meal bubblegum from Willy Wonka. It's like oh, no. one flavor. It's delicious. Oh, Sawyer would have a, a field trip with Violet Beauregard after she turned into a blueberry. Oh, yes, he would. Yes, he would indeed. I'm now imagining uh, Sawyer as an Oompa Loompa, though I guess that's what he would call Charlie. Yeah. So it's a 3.7 from the audience, which between your score and mine gives it a 3.92, which is slightly behind the cost of living's 3.94. Uh, Trisha Tanaka's dead third best episode of season three so far. Yeah, which, I mean, it's probably my fourth. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Like, on my personal list, I'm always going to put Trisha Tanaka very, very yeah, high. I think, it's like, a, I think the last time you did it, it's like in your top ten, I believe, maybe number it's, ten? It's it's five or six, oh, wow. I think okay. I have. I, I don't remember where I put Trisha Tanaka's dead. Uh, let's see the last episode rankings is the Hollywood Reporter. Gonna... <laughs> I hope this is how you Google you just mumble words to yourself as you type it's, them into the search engine. Typically, I'm just like kind of like just like sort of yada yada yada. All right, Trisha Tanaka is dead is uh, number six for me oh. uh, on my on my rankings, and it's usually just like a mission statement thing. It's like mm-hmm. um, it, it's it's it, it's an episode that like when you know the full shape of the story, this episode the shape pays of things dividends. to come. You know, this episode pays dividends. So, uh, it is, it, it is hyperbolic. My, my feelings towards Trisha Tanaka. Absolutely. Um, but I, I embrace the hyperbole with the wide armed hug that such hyperbolic things demand. Listen, um, you can wrap me up in that hug as we go careening down the van, like Charlie and Hurley did. And I will gladly take that hug. You great. You give great hugs as well. So. We're in, we're in for a cool spot. Here we are. Enter 77 coming next week. Saeed flashback, underrated episode. Your friend and mine, David Healy, has been waiting for um, us to get to Enter 77 yeah, for, for a while. For particularly full bloom reasons. So yeah, this is going to be, this is an interesting <laughs> one because this is another one that I, I don't really have many associative memories with it because this is one that I think, you know, sort of like Par Avion is like smack dab in the middle of season three when so much is going on that it's not really remembered on from any capacity. But we're going to see the flame. We're going to get introduced to Mikhail so I can finally bring out my Mikhail theory. Uh, and, you know, on speaking of season one storylines, possibly take it from this, the series Bible. We get ping pong going on. Oh, is that is that next week? Yeah, next week's ping pong. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm really pumped for this. I think it's going to be a really fun episode. So get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Keep those ratings coming in as well. You can tweet at us, of course, at postshowrecaps, at Round Howard, at a Mike Bloom type. Subscribe if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews greatly appreciated. Mike, I was going to ask what else is going on for you, but uh, before I got the words out of my mouth, I got beamed up to a starship. Oh, I know no. that you and the, the great Jessica Lee are getting back together for some Star Trek disco coverage. Yeah, hopefully you consented to that beaming. Otherwise, you're going to wind up in some sort of weird alien vehicle. But yeah, so Star Trek Lower Decks, which is the first adult animated series since the animated series proper, uh, is, going, is finishing up this week uh the finale will have dropped on cbs all access by the time uh you are listening to this and myself and jessica are getting together to not only wrap up the series which i would actually call like the trisha tanaka of star trek and that it is so light 
purposely funny, character-oriented, and spoiler alert, uh, my favorite new Star Trek series to date uh, of the CBS All Access ones. But we are also looking forward to Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery, which is coming next week. We're going to preview you know, where we left things, spoiler alert, 900-plus years in the future. We're yeah. going to preview some of the new characters that were announced that was very exciting, and it's going to ramp up to our weekly coverage that should be coming to you every weekend into early week uh, moving forward for, I believe, the 13 episodes of Star Trek Discovery, so be sure to check that out. Also, I got to fill in for you, Josh, on this week's Lovecraft Country recap, of course. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course, it, really. and given my own luck, this horror-averse person got to come on for the most terrifying episode yeah, to date. Yeah, it was a tough draw. <laughs> it was a tough draw, but you know what? I was happy yeah. to draw it alongside Kevin Mahadeo and returning guest Chappelle, so that should be up by the time you're listening to this. I think a really yeah. delicious discussion of the anti-penultimate episode of Lovecraft country so we're getting all that done and yeah another reason why uh, you should subscribe to the patreon and go onto the discord is you can chat with us anytime we're not producing podcasts josh and i particularly are on there talking tv pretty much nonstop. oh yeah all the hosts are there like kevin mahadeo is out there giving like insane comic book recommendations latanya is on there talking movies jess is on there as well uh like everybody's there yeah uh, it's a party it's great we literally have a channel in our discord server a room called vacation where we are all pretending to be on a beach vacation together. It is very weird and massively <laughs> joyful. It is the Trisha Tanaka uh, of Discord And, and listen, we're on our own beach <laughs> vacation here every week on, on Down the Hatch. And I will yes. also say, speaking of Jessica Lee, uh, if you are looking for some traveling outside of the vacation channel, The Amazing Race is starting back up next week. And so if you're looking for some reality TV to take you from the fall into the winter, myself, Jessica Lee and Rob Sesternino are going to be providing weekly coverage of that. Should be a lot of fun. This is a show that has been two years plus in the can, and I'm very it's happy crazy. to finally be talking about it. That's crazy. So lots going on in our necks of the wood. Jess, Lee, and I are actually, uh, we're on the dead beat. We're talking Fear the Walking Dead and the Walking Dead World Beyond every week coming up this week. Uh, so if, if that sounds like something that's interesting to you, which I totally understand if it's not, uh, we will be, uh, we will be covering all of that. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is, uh, getting close to the end of the line here for everything is super. Kevin and I are getting into Avengers Endgame, our first pass at Avengers Endgame coverage. I think we are going to be lingering, um, both on Endgame and sort of just like meditating on the Infinity Saga as a whole for the next couple of weeks. So this is going to be, uh, a bit of a landing point for us for the next little while. So keep your ear out. For that podcast, sign up for the Post Show Recaps Patreon if you can. If you can. Uh, if you cannot, we totally understand. But if you can, I think you're going to get your money's worth. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. Check out some of the free podcasts that we've posted on there uh, for the public. Um, usually that stuff is behind the paywall, but we're keeping some of that stuff open on the website just to you know, let you know what we're working on. We've got really fun things that we're working on. So check that out. Patreon.com slash Post Show Recaps. You are helping to support the hosts of Post Show Recaps and making sure that this podcast is going on for many moons still to come. We'll be back next week entering 7-7 with Enter 7-7. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. 